Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with the ECS DNA kit by Endocana Health. If you take pride in your canna nerdiness or are just canna curious, this kit empowers you to find more about the best cannabis choices. Right now, you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com using promo code POD25. Your purchase includes the Endo DNA Collection Kit, Endo Decoded Report, personalized cannabinoid and terpene suggestions, and Endo Align products matching in your state. There will also be suggested dosage guidelines and optimum methods for inhalation or usage. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop Endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, Endo DNA is celebrating their new patent with a buy one, get one offer on their Afika soft gel lineup. And since I know that many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Afika Unwind, created to support health sleep cycles using patented proprietary formulations of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are in your future. Buy one for yourself and get one for a friend at endodna.com. And don't forget promo code POD25 at the checkout for 25% off your DNA test kit. People would ask me what I do. And I said, I make app control blocking furniture and people would be like, oh, for like guns and alcohol. And I was like, no, for weed. This is the Cannamom Show, a podcast chronicling the inspiring stories of real women in the emerging cannabis industry. Your host, Joyce Gerber, mom, lawyer, political activist, has been speaking with women from coast to coast and around the world who are leaders in the revolution of cannabis and caregiving, continuing on her mission to lift up the stories of the women creating the cannabis industry by sharing their canna stories with you. So go make yourself a cup of tea or roll yourself a joint, sit back and learn something new about this magical plant on The Cannamom Show with Joyce Gerber. From the Tip O'Neill Studios in North Cambridge, Massachusetts, it's the Cannamom Show. Now here's your host, Joyce Gerber. Wow, thank you for joining us again today. I, just, I had to move my like my award-winning trophy back there. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should add, now here's your host, award-winning podcaster, Joyce Gerber. It'll never ever get old. No. <laughs> you got to milk that thing. <laughs> milk it, milk it, milk it. Yes. Okay, so... um. There's not much else going on with me. Anything new with you, Dave? No, I don't know. My son made the ultimate Frisbee team at UMass. Uh, that's a big ah, deal. Yeah. That is that is a big deal. Well, muzzle tub on the ultimate Frisbee. That's a good thing. Any cannabis and ultimate Frisbee, there's a connection. Oh, yeah. Believe me. <laughs> the, everyone on his team would probably be big fans of your show and all the advice you dispense, so to speak. Yes. As it should be. Okay, that's big news, but we have a big show, so we can just begin. We don't have to chit-chat for too sure. long. And just, we have a cannabis author a little bit later in the show, so just stay tuned for that. And before we begin, we want to thank How to Do the Pot, and of course, Ellen Scanlon for making today's show possible. So today we are speaking about something new, cannabis-friendly furniture. It's a thing, and it's made right here in America, specifically Wisconsin. Today's guest is the mastermind behind Forty Goods, described as the room and board of weed. 
here today to share her journey from coals to cannabis, why anti-fast furniture is her mission, and who is investing in her stylish and cannabis-friendly furniture. Please welcome to the Cannamom Show, Sharon Kevill, CEO of Forty Goods. Welcome, Sharon. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. You are very welcome. So let's just dig right in. So you are now a furniture maker business. You began as an interior designer, and then you worked for Kohl's before leaving to become the furniture builder that you are. Is that right? Is that how it works? Okay. And so let's just talk about what was your original idea when you left Kohl's, and then how do you transition into cannabis? Sure. So I basically, as you said, I started off as an interior designer. And while I was working at Kohl's, I had learned that they were looking for somebody to design and develop furniture for sale in stores. And I thought that sounded like a really cool job and interviewed for it, got got the position and started developing and designing furniture, going overseas a couple times a year to work with the factories and build, build great product for the customers. And it was a huge learning experience, which I am eternally grateful for. I essentially changed jobs without having to go back to school and using my interior design background and understanding how a room goes together. I was able to lend those talents to the development team, the design team. And it wasn't until I got pregnant in 2014 that I started really, I mean, I've always been really conscious about where things are made and the sustainability surrounding things, but that really kicked into high gear in 2014 when um, I got pregnant. It's always the caregivers. It's the caregivers. That's what we talk about. And and she's a caregiver. So she inspires something in us. Yeah, exactly. So you're, so you're becoming a mom in 2014, but you were still at Kohl's then? I was still at Kohl's then. And And I went overseas. I was five months pregnant. And when I landed in Shanghai, there was an an air quality alert where they were saying that pregnant people, elderly children shouldn't take their exercise outside that day, stay indoors. And by the end of the day, I felt like I was getting sick and I realized, you know, I had a sore throat and a cough and I realized that it was pollution. Mm -hmm. And there was another year that I was over there where they literally, the Chinese government shut down factories where we were producing in a certain area for an international summit. And they had shut everything down for months, which was kind of what I thought was unprecedented, but they wanted, the Chinese government wanted blue skies in the city where this conference was being held and they got it. And I was over there during the time, around the time um, of the summit. And I saw what, what pollution, what industrial pollution does to, and manufacturing pollution does to our planet. And that's an amazing, but that's an amazing insightful part of this. are you, were you, where were you living at the time when you were traveling back and forth? I was still living in Milwaukee. Um, oh, I, so that, so just explain like, I mean, that's a big difference from, I imagine you weren't in a very urban area or you're in a, so not like Shanghai. I mean, no, <laughs> there's New York is really the only thing. And even New York is, isn't I mean, the same. It's not comparable. The same. It's, yeah. it's it, if you've never been there, seeing Hong Kong and Shanghai, Shenzhen, some of these huge cities over there are, it's just it's awe-inspiring. Like you're you're dumbfounded by how big everything is and how much stuff and the density. And so I think that's I think I think Americans miss that. I've I've traveled a bit, not as much recently, but just the idea that our density issues of what we think is dense and what the yeah. rest of the world considers dense is yes. so vastly different, which is why we're able to acquire so much stuff, which is sort of comes back to your product, which is mm-hmm. you're making these things that people, everyone needs a beautiful piece of furniture, a good piece of furniture. I actually have 
this is true. My furniture was my grandfather's. Yes. It's not that beautiful, but I've carried it around with me for years and I have this weird sentimental value. And I literally just last week looked into getting it refinished because I never have done anything with it. Mm-hmm. It's about as much as buying a brand new dresser, but I'm like, I could save it. So yes. I don't know. Again, this idea that we're not throwing stuff away. So this is where you're coming from. You're in an environment where you can see the pollution. You can see the impact that's quite a few years ago in your pregnancy, yeah. so you're a caregiver. So something brain, something happens to our brains, people. And yeah. you're just worried in a way that you weren't before. Okay. So what happens next? So I basically decided that I, 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 beyond the pollution, there were also things that I noticed with people in the factories during that same trip. When I was pregnant, we were walking through a factory and we got up to the area where they were finishing. And I asked for a respirator because I was pregnant and they're spraying finishes over there that require a respirator. And they gave me the same kind of paper mask that we use now for COVID, like the, where you go to the doctor. I know enough about manufacturing that, you know, and, and how to fit a respirator that if you can smell anything inside of your respirator, it's either not fitted properly or your filters need to be changed. And so I was like, this isn't going to do anything for me. And so I talked to my manager. I politely excused myself. I walked, you know, through, I had to, the only way out was through. So I walked through as quickly as I could. But as I was leaving, I was looking around and I realized that everybody else there had the same type of paper mask if they were wearing one at all. And that's going to have real lasting health uh, consequences for people, the people who are spraying those finishes. And when I brought that up and, and it was just kind of like, we don't really have the ability to tell people how to run their companies in another country. And I just kind of didn't want to, I accept that but I also don't want to be a part of it. So I started looking for something in the US, something where I could have a little bit more control over what I was doing. I started working for a furniture company in Milwaukee that they're basically like a design build company and they build a lot of different architectural details and furniture. And they brought me on to do sales and design. So these still places like this still exist. Places are still places making like this. There are still <laughs> tons of them across small throughout the country, regional players. And so I went to work for them. I was going to design a line that they could basically repeatable work for them. Most of their work right. was one-off custom. But I realized that while I was there, I helped to work, transition that factory over to water-based finishes, which are more sustainable and better for the people who are spraying them. So can I just add kind of back up on the business end of this? So you're sure. coming in and were the people in that's been saying, we're looking for these sort of things or were you yes. like, I have these ideas and I'm going to give them to you. They were looking to have solutions for them. They were looking for solutions. The, and, the other, were, and the other company was like, I'm pointing these things out. And they're like, sorry, we can't even think of an idea to solve. I could, we can't think yeah. of a way to solve this. And, and here's the thing when you're working with, you know, everybody, whether it's West Elm or Restoration Hardware or Kohl's or Target, they're not making the furniture. They're, uh, they're designing it, but they, they don't own their factories over there. So they're contract manufacturing and they're private labeling and, and Im- they're importing them back into the U.S. Right. And so they can specify certain things and people like West Elm are, companies like West Elm are doing things where they're specifying that they want sustainably harvested wood and they're using a lot of water-based finishes. Like 
there's, there are companies that are out there that are still kind of doing those things. They're still mass producing. They're still shipping over an ocean. And the companies that they're purchasing from might not be doing sustainable things for any other line that they're working on. Right. So just having that control and transparency over how your goods are being made and how they're getting to you and where they're coming from. It's exhausting, but it's important if you care about the environment, if you so care is, about- so is, that, so is that the anti-fast furniture? Is that sort yes. of your philosophy? Can you yes. sort of explain that to people, what that is exactly and how, I mean, how sure. if it's spreading and whatever, sure. what's happening to it? Hopefully. Sure. So fast furniture is obviously when things are being made in bulk, they're being- Like, fa- like fast fashion. Like fast fashion. Yep. Same thing. They just applied it to the furniture industry Okay. um, because the products are so big and everybody has them in their home. Like everybody wears clothes. So anti-fast furniture is basically knowing where you're, knowing your supply chain, knowing where your products are coming from, making sure that they're not being made using slave labor, using child labor, all of the things that most, if not all large companies in the United States protect against. Those are the main things that they protect against, but it's also making sure that you're not, you're not using old forests, old growth Mm -hmm. trees to make your products that you're not, that you're using sustainably and responsibly managed wood products for it or whatever you're using. It is not making things in hundreds or thousands. It's making things in smaller batches so that you're not, A, so that you're not sitting on a bunch of inventory that you don't need or that people don't want, and B, that you're not wasting those resources. Exactly. It's more humane. It seems like it's a more, and it's a more humane way for people to work, I would imagine, who are in those industries. It is. Yeah, that's interesting. All right. So let's go back to you. So that's all about you. All right. So you're having (laughs) this vision, you're thinking about this thing. So your company is 40 goods. That's where we are mm-hmm. now. But what happened in between sort of this epiphany of this idea and having a baby? And, yeah. you know, do you go over with your original idea to go into something that was cannabis? It wasn't, but I have been, I have been, I guess I've had a relationship with cannabis since my teenage years. Yeah, I like that. People say that all the time. <laughs> like my story is backwards. I had an epiphany and realized everything I knew about cannabis was wrong and could have used it so much when I was a young mom. So yeah, yeah, I like people have had a lifelong relationship because it literally means you're healthier. I mean, now that I understand what cannabis is, you were able to balance your body. You were listening, yeah. whatever, all the things that we were not listening to, all the people who were, I thought were stoners and going to go nowhere in life. Yeah. Apparently you were much healthier. So yes. Well, proud. I mean, I'm not gonna lie, that's <laughs> kind of where it started in high school, but it definitely has evolved since then. And yeah, I did. And you were traveling overseas. Actually, that's a fun question. So were you a cannabis consumer when you're working for Kohl's? I was, but and you traveled um, overseas. A lot. I did, but I did not ever bring anything over. I okay. Mean, there's one thing that I've learned and that is do not mess with foreign governments. Yeah. <laughs> so, especially so, Singapore. Yeah, exactly. people. So I'm wow. not, this is not something that I was, it's just, you have to take a break while you're over there. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. So you have a lifelong, but you have a lot, you have a relationship with cannabis, but you yeah. we're still in the business world and you're obviously not that open with it. In your professional yes. life, obviously, no, no, and, um, <laughs> no but it was sort of in the not. back of your mind. But you, but you wanted to do something. Did you transition just to have a more sustainable line of furniture? Is that your yes. idea? Yeah, okay. yeah. So when I left the small manufacturer, it was because I wanted to do a line and converting a company that is really focused on kind of one-off artistic product. I mean, they make beautiful, beautiful things. 
but it just really wasn't set up to be doing repetitive manufacturing work. Right. So I ended up leaving there and I started kind of, I had this idea for the line. And initially when I started it, it was going to be something that was for um, independent, small batch furniture for independent hotels and senior living. And that's what I was initially seeking investment for. I wasn't seeking investment. I had the idea for the furniture and I'll tell you that story in just a second, but I had the idea for that furniture and I just didn't think, I thought that leveraging my interior design background and what I knew of the industry, it would be easier for me to launch a company where my clients would, it would be basically a B2B business. And I already had inroads in that, in that industry and in architecture and design. I actually did. I used to work in housing development, affordable housing, the senior specifically. And a lot of the, I used to feel bad. I have to, I would purchase so much furniture that we would just end up throwing away or it doesn't, mm-hmm. it would break so easily because we're always going for the least expensive product that we exactly. could get because that was our budget. And the idea that we could get something that was sustainable and I, I don't know, it'd be like a, that's a lot of government money, honestly. I mean, that'd yeah. be a good investment, I think, but that's yeah. another story. Okay. So that was your original idea. That was my original idea. And I was um, pitching for that in most of 2019. So I left that company in 20, in August of 2018. And I started immediately, like two days after I left, I had my LLC filed. And by the end of the year, I had my pitch deck and my business plan all ready oh, to go. For you. And in 2019, beginning of the year is when I had my first pitch. And I basically pitched and talked to hundreds of people, investors, and was looking for someone to invest in this B2B sustainable furniture business. And I started having conversations with one particular investor and he was like, I really like this idea. And I really like you as the founder and your background, I think is really well suited for this, but I'm just not like soul and the product itself. And I said, well, I have this other idea. I'm like this mm-hmm. business. And I started talking about it and he's like, this clearly lights you up. This is clearly something that you're very interested in. So you, I just, cause this is always my question to people in business. Were you, did you feel any shame in like talking about this cannabis with him? Or are you just like, I'm coming <laughs> um, out? I was a little nervous. So I did say, how do you feel about cannabis? Oh, you did. Okay. Yeah. And he was like, whatever whatever, it's fine. Why? And then I kind of told him about the idea and he was like, that's it. That's the idea. Tell tell people what the idea is. (laughs) So the idea is sustainably made furniture in the U S that has locking drawers and doors so that you can safely store cannabis so that you can safely store pharmaceutical medicine. You can safely store weapons, money, jewelry, really anything and that is one thing that has changed since when we launched. Initially, when we launched, we were, I was, the product line was built and developed for cannabis, mm-hmm. cannabis storage, safe cannabis storage. And the story that I will tell is at one point I was, my husband was traveling for work. My daughter and I were home alone. We were coloring at the, at our kitchen Island and I had to change the laundry. So I said, she was maybe three at the time. I said, hold on a second, keep coloring. I'm going to, mommy's going to run downstairs. I'm going to change the laundry. And I ran downstairs changing laundry as quickly as I possibly can. I run back upstairs so that she's not up there alone. And I get to the top of the stairs and I have a direct sight line into our kitchen. And I see her standing on a counter with a cabinet door open. And she's just eating fistfuls of my husband's candy. And I was like, 
I mean, three things. First thing was like no sudden moves because I don't want her to fall off and hurt herself. The second thing was, dear God, we've entered the stage in which nothing is hidden anymore. She sees everything. And the third thing was, thank God that wasn't a THC gummy. Exactly. If she had been eating fistfuls of, not that we would have kept them like that, but I mean, it just like, it was, it was a scary day for me. You can never trust your children, people. That's just the thing. It was like, I trust my kids. I'm like, no, you had not trust them. (laughs) Yeah, no, for sure. Especially when they're little. You know, they're started, teenagers. They go yeah. through all your stuff, people. Yes, exactly. Privacy. <laughs> I suppose I'm just saying that just because I don't have a teenager yet. But yeah, I mean, knowing how I was as a teenager, yeah, fair. Okay. <laughs> so, so yeah, so I started looking around for a piece of furniture. I want something integrated within my home as an interior designer. I wanted something that was integrated within my home that was lockable. I didn't want a stash box. I didn't want something small that somebody could walk away with or could be removed from the home. I think that I've been reading some of the things about what people are writing about the product. And I think that's the best quote, just the idea, like we all have things. We obviously keep our stuff in things, but it's in a drawer behind my socks or it's in the bathroom or my friend used to keep it in our car. So this is interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when we were, when we were kind of doing the initial branding and kind of like looking through, okay, you know, our brand positioning, who, who's our competition? And it's like, for a lot of people, it's our competition is a shoebox on a dusty shelf in the back of somebody's closet. And they're all like places that are like up and hidden away from, but it's kind of like, why? We're all adults. Right. It's, it's not legal in my home state, but it's legal in many other states recreationally. Why do we, why is, why are we hiding things? Right. All right. Well, this, no I mean, we've gone to the other extreme. We have an entire bar set up on our back porch with my <laughs> college kids who came home from the pandemic. And that, that is how we survive. When you have little kids, they're going through your drawers, they're seeing lots of things and there are just some stuff they shouldn't have access to. And I guns specifically prescription medications. I remember going through my parents' medicine cabinet when they weren't home, just looking to see what was in there. I didn't touch anything, but just the idea that it was very accessible. So I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, there's, I can, there's a lot of things that I found of my parents growing up that I probably shouldn't have. <laughs> so we all I would like to up. keep my daughter from the same mental anguish <laughs> and therapy. Good, she's a good can of mom, people. All right. So you have this vision and then he says, he, so people start investing. So what year is this? Are you in it? So at the end of 2019, I, okay. I took the first, I sold equity the, for the first time and off to the races. So in 2020, we started and developing the product line and getting everything kind of with the business sort of nailed down and working through designs, working through the development of our lock and our controller and our app. It was a huge undertaking. So for most of 2020, that's what I did. And so were you building your team? How did you find your team of people that you're putting this together with? So it was looking around at some really into supporting local businesses and supporting women-owned businesses. So most of the people, a a lot of who we're using or how I'm building the company right now is with a lot of consultants. So I'm hiring a lot of women-owned businesses and trying to to build this industry. You know, we're building a network and this idea that I keep saying on the show, this is a very specialized industry and I know you're in furniture. And I'll come back to later about the other issues been having with banking and how you got to sort of get around that 
Yeah. We're all kind of going through, but again, this is a women, this should be a women run industry. We're helping each other. We're building it new and different. That's what I hope, please. (laughs) You know what I mean? But it is about capital. So we have to use our resources really um, efficiently. And I think that's what you're saying you're doing. You're trying to help other women building this together and you're putting it. So can we go back to to the name? 40 good. Explain why you chose that name and what it means. And yeah. um, Yeah. So I did a ton of research into names and how I landed. I mean, it was like days and days of research and I was looking for something. It was, it's a women-owned company. Eventually we will own our own manufacturing. So I wanted to have something that was strong, that talked about longevity, that talked about like the, the strength and security of the furniture. And so fortis is a Latin word that it's the, forti is the root of like fortitude, fortify. And so I thought 40 seemed like a, a good, a good start. And I also turned 40 that year. Oh, <laughs> so that was, was a sign. Like, I'm into sign. So I was like, all right, it's a sign. That's <laughs> That's it. We're done. Strength and persistence. That's awesome. All right. I want to talk about the pandemic on your business, but I got to take a little break. So we will be back with my uh, guest, Sharon Cavill, CEO of Forty Goods Strong, after we speak with Lauren Wilson about cannabis cooking and science. But first, I want to thank today's sponsor, How to Do the Pot, a podcast, but so much more. Are you looking for answers to your cannabis questions like, can cannabis help me sleep? How do I use pot for sex? Can I grow my own weed at home? What is the best strain for me? We all know this industry is confusing and it can feel hard to find a place to start. All those questions you've been secretly Googling about cannabis, I found a place for you to start and get your answers. How to Do the Pot is a tightly edited weekly podcast that demystifies cannabis for women through fun, narrative storytelling, and informed recommendations and advice. Hosted by Ellen Scanlon, How to Do the Part. How to do the pot produce, <laughs> how to do the, I'm like spitting all my words. How to do the pot product recommendations include some of the women run businesses we've spoken to over the past few years. And I love working with these other women and in the industry. And I am especially happy to be working with another woman focused podcast. How to do the pot is available wherever you listen. You can find out more at dothepot.com. And that's also where you can sign up for their very popular newsletter. Plus they are on all the socials at do the pot. I definitely recommend the podcast and hope you'll give her a listen and find out all the answers you've been Googling how to do. All right. Before we get to Sharon, we have a special extra guest. We haven't had an extra special guest in a while. So this is good. Lauren Wilson is joining us today. She is a writer and a chef who loves cannabis. She's here today to share a little bit about the science of cannabis cooking and why she knows it is so important for our health and wellness cannabis is not a belief system people it's a science so lauren welcome thank you for joining us today thanks so much for having me pleasure to be here welcome so cannabis and cooking and science it's all kind of mixed up together i don't know can you give sort of a and wellness can you just give a five-minute explanation of why that's so important and true and why it really is not a belief system i'm just like people tell me they don't believe in cannabis I'm done with it. Yeah. I mean, I totally hear you on that point. And I think that for me as, as a generally nerdy human and in lots of different ways, I think that a foundational moment in changing my relationship with cannabis was starting to understand the science. And I was endeavoring to write my third cookbook, which was going to be an edibles cookbook. And 
I still will write that cookbook one day, but it hasn't happened because in so doing, I started. So up until that point, I had been writing about food, but nothing about cannabis. And so this was a new world that I was kind of dipping my toe into. And I started connecting with folks here in New York and in the industry and got pulled in to write my first cannabis book called Healing with CBD with a nurse named Eileen Konichny, who is an OG advocate for patients here in New York. And it was kind of a crash course in cannabis science, really. I mean, she was the medical brain. I was the writer brain, but I had to learn like cannabis 101 science, the endocannabinoid system, how it works, the receptors, everything. It just kind of, it was mind blowing to me to, to get a peek into understanding how and why this plant works. And I think that when people say they don't believe in cannabis, the science, the science is there. I mean, the science is still relatively speaking in early days, but you know, there have been tens of thousands of studies now done looking at, you know, THC, CBD, more and more coming online every day. And so, yes, I think that you can, to anyone who says they don't believe in cannabis, you can definitively open their mind with even just a little bit of information, just even knowing that there's something called the endocannabinoid system in our body. Yeah, so Dr. Bonnie Goldstein has her book about cannabis, and that is the first thing she says. If someone asked her, she says, do you know what the endocannabinoid system is? If they say no, she's basically like, you don't have a right to an opinion yet, but please go learn what that is <laughs> and come back and we can talk about this. So cannabis and cooking. I've heard Again, I'm not a cook. I do have the ardent decarboxylator, which I should be able to use, but I'm embarrassed to say I've never have. And I've gone to two trainings and I know Chanel personally, but whatever, that's another story. But I think cannabis and cooking, I keep hearing chefs talk about this, helping their friends with cancer specifically to sort of, not sort of an extreme, but to go through that process of the radiation and the chemotherapy, but do it in a way that doesn't make them so violently ill. They're able to still stay in their bodies without feeling sick. So that's part of the cannabis and science. I don't know if you can talk to why you think it's so important about cooking with it and what do you Mm -hmm. think is so powerful? And I don't really have time for a first introduction, but just sort of like sort of your overview of how you explain it and and then people can look up more on your website. So I think that can, I mean, so I like to think about cannabis, hemp cannabis, kind of that family of plants as one tool in a toolkit for holistic living. And I think another important tool in a toolkit for holistic, healthy living is diet. So you can put those two things together in a really lovely way. And I tend to make all my own CBD oils at home. I buy hemp flour, make CBD oil, and then you can use that in any number of ways. I think that if if you want to use cannabinoids in your toolkit in any capacity, adding it to your food is a really lovely way to do it. And it can be quite easy to do as well. I like to, there are tons of edible products out there. I mean, you folks know, gummies, cookies, all the things. And, and those are great, yummy treats sometimes. But, you know, if you want to make something healthy, that's probably going to be something you have to do at home. And that's, so actually, that's a very interesting point. Mm-hmm. There are so many edibles out there, but they are all sweets, almost to a, I, I can't think of any place in Massachusetts that I can get something that's not as sweet, except for people who I know who are making these infused meals, which I've actually never done yet. So this idea that we are really learning how to, that's interesting. No one really talks about that, how you, the edible end of the spectrum is not unsavory. It's not, at all. it's not, on. It, there are some savory products out there, but even then, I mean, and not to like, I'm not trying to bash processed foods entirely, but they're all mostly highly processed foods. And right. so if you want to engage with edible cannabis on the regular, you can't constantly be eating gummies and chocolates and all that stuff. So, so that's where I think the value of cooking with cannabis comes in. 
That, that's a good point. All right. I have yeah. to think of, okay, I'm going to try. And I'm going to be growing again this year. I grew last year and I know you can use every part of the plant and do things. So this would be inspiring, like maybe teas or, I mean, what would you think first? Like somebody who really doesn't like to cook, but wants to engage in the cannabis, like adding it to my daily diet or adding to a daily mm-hmm. diet. What would you think is the easiest way to start? Well, one way that I, I think, I don't know if, I, I don't think a lot of people talk about or know, but you know, you can consume the raw leaves of the plants and so do you, are you familiar with like acidic cannabinoids? Sort of. Okay. <laughs> so in the plants, cannabinoids exist in an acidic state. So THC is THCA, right. CBD is CBDA. And right. so in the process of decarboxylating, that's when they're converted into the forms that we're really familiar with in edibles and, and when you smoke or vaporize or whatever. But acidic cannabinoids have a lot of inherent health properties that are very similar to their converted cannabinoids, but are unique to their own. And also something like THCA, for example, is not going to be intoxicating. So you can derive right. some of the benefits of THC without, and, and raw leaves are also just full of antioxidants and also lots of so, other phytoestrogens. So like literally just something you could put into your salad. You could. you could. I mean, the, no. the leaves do tend to be bitter. You'd have to like play around with flavor to see where you want to fall on that spectrum it might be too intense it might not depending on your palate we, we like arugula radicchio i mean there's yeah. always weird things in my salad i hadn't thought about the, i didn't know what to do with the leaves last year i felt bad i knew i should better do something so oh this is great lauren all right that's it's always about me helping me if they want to get in touch with you find you it'll be in the show notes but just give it a shout out yeah my website is laurenmwilson.com and you can find me on the socials at lauren does this and just the, give a name of that cookbook that has a very funny long name about is it zombies or something. Is oh, that- yes. So the, my two previous cookbooks are cookbooks for the zombie apocalypse. The first is called The Art of Eating Through the Zombie Apocalypse. And then I also did the official cookbook for the show The Walking Dead. There you go. So if you're looking for holiday gifts, people, everything has to be ordered early. This is a good one for your zombie friends. Thank you, Lauren. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. This is really fun. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, we do have some time. All right, so back with our friend Sharon, CEO of Forty Goods of Wisconsin. All right, so you're in Wisconsin. That's where you're building it. Can you talk about how the pandemic, I don't know, like if the manufacturing workers, I don't know, just can you explain maybe what happened to you in the pandemic? And has it been good for business, hard for business? neutral how has this worked for you so we were you know building the line during the pandemic so i would say that things took longer to bring to fruition just because there was a point in time at least here in wisconsin where we are where everybody was just home like everybody was like quarantined for a couple of weeks and nobody really did anything and everybody was like is this going to be over in two weeks and like when you think back to march of 2020 it's like we've we've all been through so much since then life has changed in ways that i think nobody could have predicted agree and so things definitely kind of like slowed down a little bit but everyone was really we had a lot of zoom meetings we were masked and we had to meet in person i had at the time i had two factories that i had sort of well let me back up. During that time, I was actually still trying to figure out who was going to contract manufacture for us for, you know, this initial, initial point in time. And so speaking with a lot of those manufacturers, there were a lot of people who couldn't take on any new product because they were making for other, you know, other retailers. And they were like the, with everybody staying home an extra eight hours a day, people were like, I need a new dining room table or I need a new desk or I need a new coffee table. Are you kidding? We renovated an entire house over the past two years. We just finished. It's so everyone was living in their spaces. That's interesting. And these places in America that were actually building furniture. 
yeah, we're just like swamped. And then wow. they had to worry about like people getting sick on yeah. within their staff. And so everybody just got really behind. And at one point, like what we were saying with overseas now being like 22 to 26 weeks before you can get something, a half a year, right. that was what was happening here in the very beginning, because there were people who, you know, shops were having to like stop and like spread everybody out and change right. their lines. So they just couldn't take on additional work. And so, so during, but during this time, you're, you're still moving forward. Was there, ever, was there ever a thought of you weren't going to go forward with it? Or you just feel like we're going? No, there wasn't. I mean, okay. people are always going to need furniture for their homes. And I do think that there is, there is a market for lockable furniture. I mean, there is a market for lockable oh, furniture. Oh, there is. Yes. And, and cannabis specifically, as it is, as legalization is rolling out across the country, slowly but surely, you hear more stories about people accidentally ingesting and children accidentally ingesting. And so that's going to continue to be a problem. And I don't really believe that more plastic packaging is the answer to that. I do not, I, I can't even, I don't want to talk about packaging. It makes me angry. All right. Yeah. But before I just, <laughs> we have a few more minutes. So let's talk about just the business part of this. Sure. So you were initially designed as a cannabis safety furniture thing. And I'm sure you ran into a lot of business problems, banking, I imagine specifically yes. and marketing, I think imagine would be another huge issue mm-hmm. for you. So can you sort of talk about what you had to go through and where you are now in terms of getting the word out about your products? Yeah. So right around, we're coming up on a year. It hasn't been quite a full year yet, but at the end of this month, it will be a year from the point in time that we launched. Woo-hoo! And I, 40 Goods is on the Shopify platform. And I initially signed up. Our legal team thought we're not going to have any issues. They were looking at it. My attorney has cannabis experience cannabis law experience. And she was kind of looking at things and she was like, I just don't think there really isn't any furniture out there that's specific to this and the way in which you're doing it. And I would, you're basically like a gun safe guns and ammunition are regulated and you cannot, there's restrictions around advertising and all that stuff. And you can still sell a gun safe online without the same issues because you're not promoting owning guns, you're promoting safe storage. And so that's kind of like what we were proceeding with. So I signed up for Shopify payments. We went online, we got our first sale right away. And then we were shut down. Everybody in cannabis gets shut down once. It's like a christening. Oh, that was the first time. That was the first time. So I was like, well, what the heck? And so I was explaining to them like, look, even if you light our product on fire, you can't get high off of the fumes because we use water-based finishes. So like what? And they were like, you have a picture of a pot leaf on your website. Like, no. So it was kind of like a, there was a a bit of being naive and a bit of thinking that because we were high-end enough and the way in which we were talking about our product was not like the traditional stoner way of talking about things. And we were really promoting safe storage, functional, beautiful piece of furniture that you can pass on for generations. And just what I didn't realize is that it doesn't, nobody cares what you're doing. They only care about what they're doing. And so Shopify is like, why would we jeopardize all of what we have for your business? We're not going to do that. I'm like, yeah, fair. So (laughs) I disagree with it, but fair. So we went and we found, we looked through a bunch of other payment processors. 
we signed on to a second one that was not high risk yet. And three days before Black Friday, they shut us down. So we got, we got signed up for like, we were signed up. It took us a month to get the next one. We got up like a couple days, like a week before Black Friday. And we were like, finally, we're going to be able to take advantage of like Black Friday. And we got our second sale and they shut us down. And then you're in holiday madness. And so banks just, it was hard to get anybody to respond to us. And so we filled out a bunch of applications and just flooded them all out. And we're like, whoever comes back first is who we're going to take. And then I got the first one back and they wanted like almost 5%, you know, processing fee, which is kind of a killer. And I was like, well, okay, we're not going to take the first one. So then I found, we got a couple back that were like, all right, these are our rates. And they were much more reasonable. And they also thought it was insane that we were having to be on high-risk payment processing, but we signed on. I ended up getting two. So I have one that I use and one that's a backup. And we got um, approved and our payment processing was turned on on January 6th. So from a few days before Black Friday until January 6th. So that kind of ruined our sales. We had two sales in 2020 for that reason. It's unfortunate. Payment processing people, I can do an entire like season on payment processing. Oh my gosh. It's ridiculous. So did you have a bank though? Yes. And I okay, have a okay. local bank, which okay. I will not name. No, no, it's fine. Because that's fine. I reached out to them after all this happened and I was like, and she's like, well, and that's the nice thing about it is because they are a bank, uh, a local, a small local bank. And so I reached out to them and I was like, Hey, here's what's happening. And I'm like, I'm not selling anything that touches the plant. I don't know why this is going to affect you, but it may. And they were like, you know what? We're okay with it. Keep going. But if it becomes a problem, know that we'll have to figure something out. Exactly. Okay. And so they weren't going to freeze my assets, but they might've kicked me off if, if we'd had more issues. Okay. Thankfully we did not. January 6th, this seems like a fortuitous day. January 6th, the morning (laughs) of our payment processing is turned on. And I was like, yes. And so thrilled, so thrilled. And then at lunch, I'm like eating my sandwich and feeling sick, watching basically everything happening at the Capitol. And I'm like, what, is this the end of the United States? Are we like, I mean, just while it's happening, you're like... (laughs) What's going on? I finally got so a like, pay. I finally got a payment process. I'm finally gonna make Amer- I'm probably gonna make money like a real American. And now this, this, yes. I'm gonna upset. Exactly. <laughs> so it's being a business owner. They always say it's the highest highs and the lowest lows, and sometimes that happens within a few hours. So oh, we made it through the sixth, and we're moving along. That's so, so funny. Yeah, I mean that was that. kind of the end of our payment processing, but. Then we had issues with advertising. We were not able to advertise. So getting the word out on podcasts, getting the word out on social media organically is kind of the way that we were going. And we were going to start building up our email list because email was really the only kind of way to move forward. And, And then I started paying attention to like what people were saying, what the feedback was. And in the beginning, we got a lot of trolls that were like, why would you need a whole piece of furniture for weed? Like, are you pushing drugs? <laughs> it's like, okay, first of all, it's 2021 and it's legal in over half, about half the country. Two, we're promoting safe storage of things and not being weird about what it is that you're keeping in your home. 
And exactly. three, like go call Crate and Barrel in West Elm and ask them why they have whole pieces of furniture for alcohol and are exactly. they alcoholism. Like that's, what? That that's the best what? response, actually. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Like so. Yeah. Okay. It, it ended up just kind of like, I, I, I realized that because cannabis has not been normalized like alcohol has, and I don't drink alcohol at all. I gave it up two years ago, three years ago, and I don't really miss it. But the fact that alcohol and guns are, you know, okay, cool. If you want to advertise to any of that stuff. Great. Well, I mean, within reason, but I mean, not with, when it not comes with, to cannabis, not with guns, <laughs> yeah, not with, guns. with alcohol, there is still alcohol and, and yeah. tobacco. There are still issues, but there's, there's boundaries. Yeah. And it just was kind of crazy to me. The other thing is uh, we were hearing a lot from people like why specifically cannabis? And when I would go to events and, you know, speaking engagements and people would ask me what I do and. I said, I make app control blocking furniture and people would be like, oh, for like guns and alcohol. And I was like, no, for weed. And everybody would make the craziest faces. Like they couldn't understand. <laughs> they're, not so, our, they're not in our world. They're like, I, what else? You, you, like one more thing we have to lock up. <laughs> exactly. And so I just kind of started to realize that like, if you can't beat them, join them. And yeah, that's a good you idea. Know, like there's lots of things. And if my whole, if the whole thing started with my daughter on a counter, stuffing her face full of candy and us worrying about like safely storing other things in our home. And the goal is to, is safe storage. Well, guns kill a lot more people it, through accidental accidental exactly. discharge than exactly. than weed ever has. Well, so weed, weed doesn't really kill people, but that's another, no, another, another discussion. But um, but this idea, so so you're out there. So I mean, you're having just like I mean, I will say across the board in cannabis. That's why the podcast is actually working for other cannabis industry people mm-hmm. because I can talk about their business. It's a marketing tool at some level, and yeah. it's very 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 difficult to market this. And which is actually, I think, well, you you've had a, a different solution. So what happened? So what were you doing next? Were you, tra- were you trying to change things or like how people saw yeah, you? So we ended up, we ended up switching our branding. So it's basically the same thing. We changed out our, we changed out some of our puns or instead of it being a, a new high in furniture design, we're now safe, safe and stylish locking furniture for the modern home. And we changed out that beautiful pot leaf that we bought the photography on. We changed that out to a house plant. <laughs> So it's like, we just made some like little tweaks. We changed our cartridge block to our cart block and cart isn't a word that same issues. Our free roll <laughs> block is now a fluted block. Our, our, our jars, our flower jars are now just jars, large jars and small jars. You're, um, you're almost too specific. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly. so funny. So, so what, what, what are you, what's the reaction you're getting? What's going on with it? it it's really pretty furniture. I, sometimes I describe stuff, but we're already starting to run out of time, but just, you know, what's the reaction and the, you know, room and board aesthetic thing. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Yeah. I mean, we've, there's, it's been a great response. People are loving the accessories. The, our biggest seller is our cartridge block in terms of our accessories, because if anybody who's used a cartridge before and has like left it in a drawer or has had it fall over and then get clogged or leak or like everything is so expensive. The legal market is expensive, happy for it, but it's expensive. So I want to make sure that anything that I'm purchasing legally is going to last me that I'm going to get what I paid for out of it. 
Exactly. And so our cartridge block is sort of our number one. And then from there, I would say that our coffee tables are our highest sellers. And I think that's because there's obviously there's power that that controls the locks, but everything is, is like a battery, not unlike your cell phone. So it's infinitely rechargeable. You're not putting in like AAA batteries. Nice. You plug it in, you can plug it into a, we send you a cord and plug, you can plug it into the wall or you can plug it into a backup battery, much like you do with your cell phone and, and recharge it. And the charge lasts for, depending on how long you're in it, anywhere from two weeks to a month and a half okay. before you need to recharge it. And so I think that having something that's in the room that doesn't require it to be plugged in, like a coffee table that usually floats out in the middle of a room is sort of the, the use that people are finding really beneficial. That's nice. All right. So that's a lot. All right. So if they want to find you, if they're looking people out there again, it's yes. made right here in America. We're changing everything. We're business models. We're talking yes. about how cannabis business can look different than other businesses and women supporting women and building furniture that lasts for generations and not just for like a season. So mm-hmm. how do they find you and where can they find your products and all that stuff? Sure. So um, on social media, we're pretty much at 40 goods across the board and that's F-O-R-T-I-G-O-O-D-S. And then you can find us on our website, which is www. 40 goods, F-O-R-T-I goods.com. Excellent. So fun. Thank you, Sharon. And thank you, Lauren, for joining us today. This is good. This is a fun conversation. And that is another show. So for my guests and my Canabro, David Diaz, the award-winning producer of the Canamom show. Yeah, you remembered this time. Thank you. <laughs> it's in my brain now. And our show team, Catherine and Hayden, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the Canamom show, where we are talking about caring for and giving voice to women in the emerging cannabis industry, one can of story at a time. Thank you for following and thank you for subscribing and sharing all the amazing can of stories of the women building this new industry. So together we can crush that stigma around cannabis and caregiving. I am your host, Trace Gerber. This is the Canamom show and we are a production of Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name is Kira Reed, and I'd like to invite you to be inspired by the women who are leading in the cannabis industry. Each week, we will discuss empowerment, leadership, and what it means to be a woman in charge in marijuana, hemp, and CBD. As the founder of the Women Empowered in Cannabis community, I have had the great pleasure to get to know many brilliant and talented women who are CEOs, executives, politicians, advocates, and community leaders that are focused on creating a cannabis economy that is just, fair, and equal. We'll learn how these women make decisions, how they navigate a predominantly male industry, and what they're doing to level the playing field for women. I hope you'll join us.